Hello, welcome to the Hay Festival podcast, where we bring you conversations with the world's greatest writers and thinkers. Today's episode is a healthy dose of comedy, as Jennifer Saunders recounts anecdotes from her life and career from her memoir Bonkers, My Life in Laughs, with Francine Stock at Hay Festival 2014. From her failed career as a photojournalist to making her own fun with Dawn French at Teaching College, Saunders shows us the making of a comedy legend. Enjoy. We are very much looking forward to this session, which is sponsored, very kindly sponsored, by Claridge's Nursing Home. Francine. Can I just say, hello. Can I just say, Francine? Yes. A lot of people here are sponsored by some very reputable things. Yes. Universities, foundations. We are sponsored by Claridge's Nursing Home. Can I, could you please? <laughs> I'm only presuming this is because of you, because you're local. <laughs> I'm, it's booked. Probably, I'm, I'm booked. hoping it's connected to Claridge's, because I'm checking in. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, I interrupt. Uh, you, obviously, you've got more to say. No, you haven't. Fine. <laughs> no, I haven't. Absolutely right. nothing else. Let's sit down. Jennifer Thank Zoldes. you. This is my first time in Hay, and it's raining. Well... <laughs> Pardon? I heard that from the person that was at the car park. She said, have you been before? I said, no. She said, it's always like this. <laughs> it kind of threw footwear into chaos. So oh. we are here to talk... Well, we can talk about yes. anything, but we can yes. talk about Bonkers, your amazing... Yes, that would be best. Amazing memoir. Can I just say, Francine... I'm sorry to interrupt you again. No, this is no. an awful terrible habit <laughs> but a lot of people say Jennifer why don't you just do the thing on your own why don't you just go and talk to people on your own and I say I can't because normally I'm used to working in a double act you know either with Dawn or with Joanna so for all intents and purposes for this afternoon you are Dawn French that's all I'm saying okay. <laughs> I'm it's not a lot honored. to live up to <laughs> I'm absolutely honoured good um, now, well, first thing we should get out of the way yes. is, why did you write... I mean, I can see all sorts of reasons, but yes. why did you want to write a memoir? Um, I wanted... Well, did I want to? No. Um, <laughs> but I did sort of want to write something. Um, and Dawn had done her autobiography, um, Dear Fatty, and I thought she'd kind of got a really good idea there. You know, she did the whole thing in letters, emotional letters, talking emotional things to people that had meant a lot in her life. And I thought, I could never do that. And um, it was only when I went to Claire Balding's book launch and I met her editor, Joel, who is my editor and is here and very embarrassed probably, um, <laughs> that um, I thought, well, actually, maybe I could if I made it funny, if I made, um, if I made it into anecdotes and, and made it funny. Well, it is very funny. And also it... It's great because it's not predictable. It kind of jumps around, or maybe... Mm. Well, I think that's probably by accident, but yes, you're quite right. <laughs> it does jump from... No, I didn't want a chronology, because I'm... You know, if I read an autobiography, I generally skip past... I don't want to read about people's granny parents. I want to get to the nub of the person, you know, and so I didn't want to do a lot of sort of build-up of I was born here, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to, to write the things that had happened in my life and made my life what it is. But actually, I mean, it's also quite easy to see a line that runs from 
early on, and some mm -hmm. of the, I mean, there's some pretty humorous things that seem to, or humorous attitudes towards things that actually your family had. Um, yes, um, my family was very um, jolly. My dad was um, quite a clown, quite a comedian, quite a clown. And I didn't actually, until I started to research the book, I hadn't appreciated how funny my family were mm -hmm. and how different it was growing up with a dad that was always making jokes about the neighbors that came around, always doing impersonations, and that sitting, having a meal was about telling a funny story or making people laugh. And uh, yeah, I, gr I grew up in a good, funny household. And something slightly anarchic about your dad's humor as well, I think. Yes, because he was a very sort of traditional sort of person. He was in the RAF, he got to a good rank, you know, and, um, and yet he, his one, phrase in life was, you can be serious, but never take yourself seriously. Mm -hmm. So we all lived by that, which was, you know, be serious, but never take yourself seriously. He had anything that was pompous or was thinking it was above itself. So I think that's where I got the idea that most things were up for grabs. You know, <laughs> you could take the piss out of most things. And did you, because you had brothers, was there a competitive thing going on in terms of being funny? Or? Um, no, not really in terms of being funny, in terms of being physical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was quite a tomboy, and uh, we had motorbikes and horses, and blah, blah, blah. I had the horses, they had the motorbikes, but I really wanted to be best on the motorbikes as well. But no thought of performance at that stage? No, vet. Vet? Vet. Mm. Vet or three-day eventer. Yeah, <laughs> or both. Or hugely famous pop star, one or the other. <laughs> I don't think hugely famous pop star ever leaves you, does it? No. I'm still no. thinking I could be. Excuse I could. Me. I could. Well, X Factor, I could be there. <laughs> but then, actually, you've also had a chance to be some of these people, sort of, by proxy. Vicariously. Yes. Yes. I mean, That's quite been, nice. You've done a fair amount of singing. And, um, yes, in the but I imitate singing, you see. I'm very good at imitating singing. I don't do a great deal of my own singing. That's a great bit in the book, actually, how you find it more difficult to sing as you than as somebody on, else. I really find it impossible to sing as me. My whole family can sing. I've got three daughters. My husband's a brilliant singer. They're all great musicians. I open my mouth, and it's actually quite tragic. I can <laughs> If I'm imitating someone, I can do it. But I also can't count time, Francine. That's extraordinary. Um. <laughs> I can't count time. That's quite unusual. I never know when I'm coming in or when I'm coming out. And sometimes they stop me and they go, that's not even the tune. <laughs> and it's just like, I have a whole world in my head, but it's a complete fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> but is it, so is it when you then are singing as Meryl Streep in Mamma Mia or whoever it is, or whether mm. you're being Madonna or whatever, you just think about them and then it, and Yeah, and you imitate what gone. they're doing. Right, so Entirely. if they can count, you can count. The only thing I had to sing as myself was when I was in um, Shrek yeah. as the fairy godmother, and <laughs> at which point I knew I was in trouble. Thank you, it sounded like that. <laughs> that, was, that was my early, my early <laughs> days as the fairy godmother. And, um, and what happened was that, you know, I had one singing lesson, and this isn't a really good thing to remember if ever you're singing. Because often, do you ever sing in church and think, I can't sing enough? <laughs> I'm now being heckled by a baby. <laughs> That's never happened before. But when you th you're in church and you think, I can't sing this hymn, I don't know what key it's in, mm. I can't sing a mm. note. Mm. Here's the thing. When you're going for the high notes for a scene, don't, yeah. don't try and go high by putting your head up. 
Imagine the note is the furthest away on a road. <laughs> Can you see that? Instead of going, hi, you go, hi, like that. And that will keep you centered. And you'll get that note. Excellent. I want you to try, I want you to try that next time you're in church, Francine. <laughs> It's the great thing about, about any kind of common thing like that is the way that people shift all the time when you see them. Like, no, yeah. I think I'll take that up an octave. And then, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's the way. When I was doing Shrek, I had this great friend with me, Simon Brint, who um, was the only person who'd ever been able to get me and Dawn to sing properly. And he literally stood there and went, Start. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> and then he'd go, Higher, lower, like that. And that's how we got through the whole thing, literally line by line. They go, I think we've got that line. Okay, let's do another one. And we'd go, higher, stop, lower, stop. The thing with animation that always fascinates me is the relationship between the, um, what we see in terms mm. of the realisation of the character yeah. and the voice performance. Because yeah. there's usually a little something in there, even if it doesn't look exactly like you. With the godmother in Shrek... Well, they film you doing it. Right. So if you're doing a voiceover for a, for a cartoon, as you say, we say animation. Computer-generated graphic. And um, <laughs> they actually film you doing it. So you're actually stood there, you know, singing away. And they've got a film camera on you, so you do... So they pick up mannerisms. So they pick up mannerisms and, you know, things. And did you like the godmother? No. no. <laughs> she was a bit dumpy and she didn't last long enough. That was my thought of the <laughs> fairy godmother. In fact, I actually made them record a line because this, if you haven't seen the film, I play a fairy godmother who eventually, at the end, explodes. <laughs> Sequel, hello. <laughs> Um, so I actually got them to record the line, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> and they never used it. <laughs> so there we are. Let's march yes. on through. When I was about 14, I went to the school I was at the longest, which was Northwich Grammar School for Girls. Um, and and I, I actually had quite a good time then because I'd learnt to blend into people to blend into a classroom. Because normally when you start, you start at a new school, it's just always embarrassing, it's a problem, it was never at the beginning of term. So you're always the new girl. So for years you are the new girl and just as you settle in, you move mm -hmm. on and you become the new girl again. And everyone says, oh, doesn't that make you like the class clown? Didn't you become the class clown? And I said, no, I became a really good silent blender. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. became sort of unnoticeable and blended in quite well. So with this last school, I, I was, that was me quite well blended. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a coping strategy rather than a standing out one. Yeah, I think stage. so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's much easier. You know, you stand up at the front of a class and they all go, um, now, here's Jennifer Saunders. Now, where are we going to sit you? Mm. And, and you see all the bad girls at the back of the class going, not near me, not near me, not me. Shuffle up, shuffle up, like this. And all the brainy ones in the middle have obviously got friends. And then there's a sort of sad one at the front with an empty chair. And they go, we'll sit you next to Christine. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and so you start at Christine and you slowly... And then you throw blend her away, your don't way. you? you yeah, I threw her away. And you <laughs> gradually blend your way to the back. 
Yeah. By being unno vaguely unnoticed, but sort of like one of them. Yeah. Hmm. So, so a little so bit. So I've of sort of blended my way to here. <laughs> in life. Doing pretty I well, think. but you're definitely at the front here. <laughs> here with, okay, onwards. So this is now, this is going to be a, a long section. Yes. Yeah. So you'd, you, at this point, you were denying any impetus to be a performer whatsoever. And yes. yet you meet this woman here, yes, Dawn French, woman. where? I met her at college. I met her at Central School of Speech and Drama. And that came about because... I had left school with three rather poor, actually probably pretty average A-levels then, because the A-star hadn't been invented then. <laughs> um, <laughs> A virtually wasn't like on the radar, but A-star. Um, and so with sort of B, C, D, uh, <laughs> I sort of left school with the idea from the careers officer that I could possibly be a dental nurse. And <laughs> it didn't quite appeal. So I applied to lots of universities that refused to take me. And I was left with nothing to do, you know. And my mother then decided I should go and be a, a, um, an au pair in Italy, um, which I did. And when I came back from doing that, she had the forms out of all the colleges that had vacancies still. And one of them was Central School of Speech and Drama. And she said, where do you want to go? I said, London. She ticked the box. <laughs> there was a perfunctory audition. Um, it was for a B.Ed. course, but you had to go along and show willing. And it, honestly, Francine, it was this. Yeah. I literally walked into the thing. There was a guy there. He sat you down at a piano. He played a note. He then said, can you sing a note above that? Oh. And I went, boom. <laughs> he said, you're in. <laughs> Dawn claims it wasn't that easy, but for me, it was that easy. <laughs> so did you have any idea beyond the course what you might want to do? No, I had no idea. I just thought it would be great fun living in London, and it was. And it was a shock that the... The, the course was actually a teaching course because I hadn't appreciated. No one told me, be ed, that's like teaching. <laughs> and so when they said, and we'll be doing teaching practice, I was like, <laughs> what, 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 where? And had to go through that, which was horrible. Mm -hmm. And uh, realized I probably didn't, I wasn't cut out actually to be a teacher. And, um, but Dawn and I, in the meantime, had started to share a flat and got on extremely well and had started to amuse our flatmates with some silly sketches. Mm. And, um, yeah. and, and that's what sort of led on to us doing it in public. There's great stuff in the book about the way that you started to write together and that about there being a sort of dynamic that, and you know when you find somebody else who can do this because it's about a kind of generosity that... Yeah, it's about those people you find. And I'm sure most people have it with their best friend. You find a best friend that just keeps the laughter going, that keeps mm. the conversation going, that is even willing to repeat the conversation <laughs> just to have the laugh again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort of what the comedy is. Yeah. It's repeating the conversation over and over just to enjoy the laugh and not having someone that ever puts a full stop on a, on a laugh or a nice moment so that you know, they, they never question. That's a, a lot of the thing mm. is 
is if you want to keep comedy going, you don't suddenly go, no, no, why have you just said that? Yeah, well, that's You go, yeah. you know, keep it going, keep it going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what Dawn and I had. We've suddenly found that we just wanted to keep it going. And we were quite bored. I mean, we were <laughs> living in a flat, and we were the only two that were students and didn't have jobs. Um, and so we had a lot of spare time on our hands and not enough money for alcohol. So <laughs> we'd, we made our own fun. We used to dress up as punks and try and frighten people on the tube. <laughs> no alcohol, you know? And uh, Dawn would normally, I don't, no, she'd normally have a sort of tampon hanging from her ear or, so, or something, you know? And <laughs> we'd literally dress up and literally go and sit on the tube until we could make the people we were looking at move. And was there ever a kind of extreme example of people flee, or were they just... No, they nobody? just sort of looked at us and got bored of us, I think, eventually. <laughs> we weren't that frightening, but it was kind of just a thing to do. We used to get a friend of ours to put a whole laundry basket over her whole torso, so just her little legs were coming out from <laughs> underneath, and wander up and down the street dancing. <laughs> just so we could look and see what people's reactions were. It was a kind of your own private candid camera is what we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> With a great you should try it, honestly. It's good fun. <laughs> With a sort of surreal element as well. But this, yeah. is not, this is not professional performing at this point. No, we only started... Well, we started at college. There was an actor's cabaret at the end of every year. And Dawn was so cross with most of the actors <laughs> because they were actors for some reason. I don't know. She got very, very cross with them and, <laughs> and decided that we should do, and it was unheard of because we were on the teaching course, that the teachers should join the actors' cabaret and do an act. But we decided we would. And uh, we had an act at the time... We called ourselves menopause sisters. I think we thought it was something to do with periods, but we had no idea. I do now, obviously. It's quite hot in here, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and we went along and we sung a few songs and, were, and it went down really well. Yeah. Well, the alternative was some actors doing poetry and strumming a guitar and a caftan, you know what I mean? So I think we did quite well. And after that, we sort of decided we were an act. So the Menopatsy sisters, who yes, they came, have them back. I think we did do them once at college, yes. So they, they, they're yeah. an, a mimed Italian circus act. Yeah, they're great. I Obviously. Great. Um, and actually the big joke, and you probably can't quite see it, is that we had our nipple tassels on the back of the leotard. <laughs> you see? As if they put on back to front. Anyway, <laughs> they were, um, yeah, they were the, the circus act. And actually we took them all the way through right until we were on television. And the, That's they had how little material we had. Build-up, didn't they? And then the actual acrobatics. They had a massive build-up, yeah. a lot of... Hey, yeah, a lot of... Lot of resin. Resin or rosin or whatever it's called. <laughs> all over our hands and a lot of this and that. And then a lot of jumping up and down. And then they'd do a forward roll. <laughs> <laughs> or pretend to walk on a ball or something like that. Um, oh, they're one of my favourite acts, actually. Yeah, yeah. I could... <laughs> Still enjoy those. So, so, so then you're starting, but at the point where you're starting out as a sort of professional yeah. act, it's quite, um, it's a sort of unhinged. Edge. <laughs> Did you say it unhinged? No, yeah. but it's this kind of fairly edgy stand-up sort of time. It's not. Well, I suppose. But by the time we'd left 
Dawn went on to be a teacher mm -hmm. for a year. She got a job. I didn't get a job, and so I was constantly looking for work. And eventually saw an advert in the stage that said, comedy acts wanted at this club in Soho. So I said, well, maybe Dawn might could do that. I'm like, uh, They specifically wanted female comedy acts, sorry. And um, I said, well, maybe Dawn and I could do that. So I rang her. And of course, she was very busy with teaching. Very, very busy. You <laughs> <laughs> couldn't possibly. And, um, and I persuaded her that, look, it'd just be an evening. We'd go along. We'd do what we did at college and everything. And we did. And we went along there. And it was the comic strip. It was run by Peter Richardson, um, who eventually became the whole group of us became the comic strip on telly. And we got the part because I think possibly we were the only people with bosoms that walked in. I don't know, <laughs> but we we got the. But those those comics, those early comic strip TV things mm. were. I mean, they're really memorable because they just hit really good targets, didn't they? The sort of yeah, lighting thing. Well, the, I think we were kind of um, we were very lucky the way that we got into television that we just sort of seemed to jump through a sort of loop that was there, mm. and we were allowed to do whatever we wanted. I mean, it really yeah. seemed like that in those days. In these but days, we, it would go through all sorts of Oh, these days, it would never happen. It? It'd be five years down the line, and we'd all have died. But, the, <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, it, in those days, people just took a risk and put us on telly. How did you decide what the subjects were going to be, then? Um, it was largely a sort of... It was largely Peter Richardson, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. And, and Rick and Aid did a few, and eventually me and Dawn did a couple. Aid and I met at the comic strip, and um, six years later, um, we went out with each other. <laughs> and six <laughs> weeks later, we got married. I mean, it's um, a very, yeah, that's yeah. how it happened. It happened quite quickly, eventually, but we were very good friends. Yes. Yes. And, but then the, the French and Saunders is a TV thing, then... Starts, yeah. That's after that, isn't it? Sort of starts getting. Yes, in. French and Saunders ha happened um, much later than I think. I was thinking <laughs> it happened quite soon. It didn't. It happened a while after. There was lots of bits of telly experience we did before we were actually finally summoned into the BBC. And there was a great executive then called Jim Moyer, mm -hmm. who eventually went on to take over Radio 2. And uh, he was quite a big bloke. And he sat us down. He said, right, girls, I'm going to put my dick on the table. Uh, you two got a series. <laughs> and that was literally what he said. And we said, thanks, Jim. <laughs> Don't put your dick on the table, but thanks. And, uh, and we had a series. Yeah. And after the first series, which wasn't a huge hit, and they, th what the BBC did then was they allowed you to fail. They gave you a series which allowed you to, to make a mistake, to fail, to learn. And um, after the second series was the next time we saw him. We never saw him much in between. And he came down to the studio, didn't watch it, wasn't really interested. <laughs> <laughs> and he came down and he said, you're my new two Ronnies, and left. <laughs> that was Aww. honestly the, the yeah. very few words that Jim ever spoke mm. to us. So how did you decide what would be in it then? Or was it just down to you? Was there any kind of, there's no... Um, kind of no, it was literally down to yeah. us. We just had... A kind of, we had a great producer, John Plowman, and we, we just could decide whatever we wanted. And after the first series, we realized that probably wasn't it. And so we kind of made the second series a bit more sophisticated. We started doing parodies of films and TV, which was a lot easier then because everyone 
watch the same things <laughs> all the time mm -hmm. yeah. um, because they had to. Um, <laughs> there's no option. Um, and now we kind of had a, you know, there was nothing we couldn't, weren't allowed to do. And even the budgets were sort of flexible, so we could, we could, you know, make it up as we went along. And it became more surreal as well, didn't it? I mean, that sort of always that going into the, the white room where you would sit and Yeah, that seemed quite ordinary to it. I, I know other people <laughs> find it quite surreal, but for it's us it seemed thing. quite normal. Um, <laughs> and Dawn is a very surreal person, actually. Mm. Dawn... Is, is much more surreal than you'd imagine. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm always amazed when she always has conversations about a giant. And she, she always used to, into sketches, say, yeah, well, the giant said. And I go, the giant? <laughs> she'd go, yeah, the giant, Jen. The giant that lives over the hill. Don't you know the giant? And I'd think, okay, let's go with this one. Yeah. <laughs> but I love those kind of surreal things that she, she mm. brings to everything. Because it's certainly that, that sort of idea that when you would go back into that mm. white room, in the, it was always the kind of, oh, you never, anything was possible, actually. Yeah, anything is possible. And that's, that, that was what you had to sort of allow. You could be anyone and it could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and the idea with the parodies, that sort of started with one specific thing, or did it...? Uh, no, I think it was because we loved... We, we actually are, are big heroes in Walkman and Wise, yeah. and I was used to love their sketches and the way they always got stars on to do things. Well, we couldn't really do the song and dance thing, but we thought, oh, if we just parody the TV shows, mm. we can get all the stars on as well. And we tried. <laughs> <laughs> and it grew and grew and grew as an idea that I mean yes and it became yeah. eventually they sort of took over in a way but it was massively expensive to do yeah mm. do you have a favourite amongst those a favourite amongst the all parodies, the parodies yes. amongst all the parodies oh my goodness anybody else have a favourite um, they shout out yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, but that wasn't a French and Saunders. That was a comic relief. But that is probably... Monica of the Glen. Monica of the Glen, one of my favourites. Susan Hampshire. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I had the best prosthetics for Susan Hampshire <laughs> ever. And yeah. I did enjoy doing Felicity Kendall. Uh, <laughs> just, I don't know why. Just did. Um, oh, there's so many. ABBA, ABBA was probably my favourite ever yeah. parody because we just Terribly enjoyed it so much and it, was, it looked so good at the end. It's, it's how it looks at the end that's the yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So what was that one when you were shouting out back there? Silence of the Lambs. Silence Silence of the Lambs. Of the Lambs, yeah. Jodie Foster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why I like that? Is because um, we, Dawn and I tried whenever we could to get the crankies involved in any sketch <laughs> possible. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we owed it to the history of light entertainment to, to involve the crankies whenever possible and always very good value for money. <laughs> Let's go and see what we've got here. Oh, oh ah, yeah, now. Yes. Does anyone remember Girls on Top? Yes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, down the front. Yeah, that was Girls on Top. That was our first sort of proper telly. Mm. Was that before Fetch and Saunders? According, to this, it, according to this photo. No, it wasn't, <laughs> but I think it might have been. Um, and it was our first big sort of proper Yay. telly, and we'd met Ruby Wax, because we had the same Bottom agent, right. and, yeah. uh, and we decided to try and write a female young ones. Okay, may not have been like that, but... That was our sort of idea. And the remarkable thing is, we'd never written anything in our lives, or I think ever been on telly apart from Tracy. And it got something like 14 million viewers because wow. it was on ITV 
at the right time. Mm. Yeah, back in those... In, in the days when people had to watch the television at that time. <laughs> had no alternative. No Netflix. None of your nonsense. Yeah. Just telly. But it was... I mean, obviously, the difference... That was... Although it was quite... Um, you know, it sort of broke with the former... It was still sort of sitcom. And that was... Yeah, it was definitely... Yeah. Yeah. But then you just... But for French... And it was the time sketchy. we realised, me and Dawn, that whatever you write on a script happens. So you have to be really careful what you write on a script. Although once, we didn't even write it and it happened. And we arrived on the set of Girls on Top to find on the bed a bag of potatoes. And we said to the stage manager, some potatoes on the bed. Yeah, potatoes you asked for there. Potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. And um, we said, no, we didn't, I don't think we ever need potatoes. And she said, yes, in the script, potatoes, potatoes. There you go, potatoes. And we looked at the script, and someone had, had mistyped photos <laughs> for potatoes. <laughs> you suddenly realise, no one thinks about the stuff. They just get it. Yeah. <laughs> no one had read on to say they start looking through the potatoes, <laughs> recognising people they know in these potatoes. <laughs> See what My potato album. <laughs> so now we're moving on to this yes. other partnership. Well, it's more complicated than just one partnership in, in Adverb. So mm. obviously people talk a lot about whether this is Based, who it's based on, and but it's more complicated. It's based on you, Francine. Yes, I based the whole thing on you, <laughs> especially in the last thirty seconds. Yes, yes. Um, and um, but it, it isn't just one individual. It's much more kind of era, isn't it? Yeah, I think because um, at the time we were living through that the whole idea that PR was just emerging mm. as this major power. You know, you were suddenly not just getting a small white invite to a party, you were getting like a whole toilet seat with something in the middle and, you know, it was like everything, perspex. And, you know, you'd be invited to a party but it'd be linked in with a vodka. And it was like this kind of major overkill PR-wise. And so I thought PR would be a great job for this character That's because perfect. she can do anything. You can PR anything. Um, just make it fabulous. That's all you have to do. Just PR it. And, um, and the character came because we'd met a few people. We'd had talked to people about their mothers and how outrageous mothers mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes produce um, quite dull daughters um, <laughs> or rebellious daughters. And they have no way to rebel on the other side. They have mm -hmm. to rebel by being straight. Mm -hmm. And that's what... Safi was. So the, 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 but the, the Saf, I mean, the three of them, yeah. it's only because it was a horrible Patsy, little triangle of really horribleness, intense. isn't it? Yes. <laughs> everybody torturing everybody. Everyone's quietly. torturing someone. Yeah. Yes. But is that another example of a series that maybe grew into itself as it went along? Do you oh, think totally. I mean, yeah. I don't think we sort of knew what we were doing with the pilot. Um, it was literally Dawn and I were due to do a French and Saunders show couldn't do it because Dawn was adopting her child at that time and my agent shockingly rang me up and said love I think you should write something <laughs> and I thought on my own and she went yes I've what can you do and I thought nothing I can do nothing I'd planned gardening that's what I'd planned um and eventually we sort of 
I, I sort of thought about it, thought we'd done a sketch, me and Dawn, Dawn playing the daughter, and I thought it's the only character I sort of knew I could write, so I did that. And it was a 10-minute sketch, so I, I figured out it wasn't that much longer I had to write to actually make <laughs> it into a show. And so it, it seemed sort of um, easy. Thank you for listening to the Hay Festival podcast. Next time, we'll be exploring letters that changed the world with Simon Seabag Montefiore. Correspondents include Frida Kahlo, Stalin, Gandhi, Rosa Parks, Donald Trump and more. The letters selected by Montefiore are funny or touching, creative, destructive, angry or heartbreaking. Do have a listen next Friday to enjoy some of Simon's favourites. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating, tell a friend about us, or we really just want the views. Just keep listening to it on repeat, just round and round and round. That would be great. This podcast was presented by Poppy Evans. Until next time. Mm -hmm.